0: This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 virtual ticket presenting sponsor, Amazon Music.
1: Um, Thank you guys all for coming. We're really excited to be doing this panel. There are a lot of panels um, at Podcast Movement, and there's a lot on industry trends, monetization, sales, what to do when you've already launched your podcast. And so we really want to do a panel about uh, focused on creators and to hopefully inspire you and give you some tips so you can walk away here and really break out. It's definitely a lot harder today than it was 10 years ago because the market is more saturated. But uh, there are a lot of amazing people on this panel who have had success launching a great podcasts. So they are here to give you some amazing tips uh, just to kick it off with some intros, I'm Jen Crone. I lead talent and content partnerships at Wondery and Amazon. And you probably can easily recognize me, I realize, from the photo on the website because apparently I'm wearing the exact same thing. Um, I do own other clothes, I just <laughs> did not bring them. Um, so here we are. Anyways, all right, let's uh, kick it off with some intros and, and get a little insight on your background, and then we can dive into the dive into the meat of the bones. Uh, Tiffany, why don't we start with you and then.
2: Hi. I'm Tiffany Reese. It's so nice to see you guys this morning. Um, My podcast, we're doing intros, right? Yeah. I have social anxiety and um, my, (laughs) so (laughs) if if you're freezing and I'm sweating, that's why. Um, And um, my podcast is called Something Was Wrong and um, I started it Uh, In 2018 as a pivot because I hated my corporate job and I would listen to podcasts on my very long commute from Sacramento to San Francisco, which can sometimes get up to 10 to 12 hours. If you know, you know. And um, I fell in love with podcasts. I always wanted to be a documentarian. Um,
1: And uh, that's an intro. And I also have to brag for her. Her podcast was just ranked number three on Apple's latest uh, top subscriber podcast charts. Thank you. So as an independent creator, that's very impressive. Thank you. All right, Jess.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Jess Cordova-Kramer. I am the co-founder. Co is in the audience over here. Um, uh, And CEO of Lemonada Media. Um, We're three years old and... Man, it has been a ride. Um, this this wonderful woman and I met because um, both of us lost our brothers to overdoses two years apart um, and I made her talk to me. I was at Crooked Media, I was their first producer hire, um, I heard her on a podcast talking about losing her little brother Harris Whittles, um, Harris wrote Parks and Rec and Master of None and died in 2015 and my brother died two years later and she is the first person who made me smile um, after I lost my brother. And so I stalked her because that's what you do um, when you're in deep grief and desperately need a friend to talk to, um, and uh, wore her down slowly. We made a podcast called Last Day Together, and we were and, and this may for creators in the audience this may f- feel familiar. We were pitching it around and everyone was like, "So niche, heroin overdose," and we were like, "Not niche at all, unfortunately." So we were like, "Let's do it ourselves. Let's do it ourselves." Um, So that was um, February 2019. First show came out in September, um, and we just launched our 26th show. Um, We have 60 staff members, 80% women, 40% people of color. Um, We're rocking and rolling. Everything's about making life suck less, and who doesn't want that? Um, So that's Lemonada, and that's me.
4: Well. My name is Jordan... How did I follow that? Um, I glad I didn't. I just read a regular podcast that I named after myself. Um, I'm Jordan Harbinger, the host of the creatively titled Jordan Harbinger Show. Uh, I don't have any other shows. I, I've been podcasting since 2006. So, it, of course, I didn't think it would be something you could make money doing or survive on or anything. Neither did anybody else that I knew. I had to explain what podcasts were. Back then, when I introduced myself, now I don't have to do that, especially in this room. So that's kind of a, a cool thing to to have lived through. And now, uh, my show is all I do. It's it's the whole business, and it's it's just taken on a life of its own. We have fifteen million downloads a month, give or take. And yeah, I make a living in my pajamas most of the time, like many of you also do. So I've been on podcast one for a while. That's in. They've really been an awesome partner so far, Uh, but it's really just so funny to think about the journey over 15 years, and we've tried everything to grow the show, and we're going to share some of that with you as well.
5: Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I'll be last but not least. I'm Marissa Hurwitz. I'm an agent at WME. Um, We're a talent agency. We have offices in New York, London, L.A., Nashville. Um, and we have been in the podcast space for over 10 years. Um, And so we do so much more than just deals and helping podcasters get their shows monetized and made, um, but also sort of think holistically about how we can build 360 businesses for our podcast. So not only can you think about it as an audio property, but how can you expand and build your brand off of that? and how can we help our creators and our clients build their goals and achieve whatever they want to do um, with sort of an audio business being
1: at the pinnacle of that. Great. Um, All right, to dive right in, I'd love to start with the creator perspective, uh, Jordan and Tiffany. I think it would be really helpful to hear what initially inspired you to launch your shows and uh, what was the process like along the way? Were there any, like, how did you go about launching them su- successfully? Were there any marketing tactics uh, that you use that you can kind of give as tips to creators and audience?
2: You should go first because you started in the dinosaur years. That's true, <laughs>
4: I did. Um, there was no such thing as a podcast launch in 2006. It was called just uploading an MP3 file to a GoDaddy website, and then somehow it got into iTunes? I don't even know. Um, that was so early that there was no show art, so, to give you an idea. of. So people just navigated these weird text menus to get to your show, and it wasn't hard to launch back then because there were, like, 10 shows in the health and wellness category, or 20. <laughs> So you just, people found you because they tried every podcast <laughs> and it took them an afternoon or so. So I, I, but when I relaunched the Jordan Harbinger show, the current iteration, it was a completely different game. That was about five years ago. And that was me calling everybody and trying to f- get on their show and like do cross promos and swaps and things like that. So the inspiration was I had left my previous show. But initially in 2006, it was just, oh, I'm talking about my dating life and other things like body language, which was I was sort of like a very niche show at that point. And I was recording the conversations and burning them to CD and handing those out to people who are interested, which is a great way to distribute a podcast, by the way. You should try it. (laughs) And, um, And I realized that wasn't scalable. And then somebody told me that you could put somebody told me you could put the sound files on the Internet. That's how early this was.
2: Sweet. So um, <laughs> I, um, like I said, I, I uh, started out as a uh, kind of a pivot in podcasting. Um, I studied uh, fashion design and merchandising in college. I got my, quote, dream job in the fashion industry in San Francisco, and it was garbage. And I hated it. And so I loved podcasts. Um, like I said, I love documentaries since I was a kid. I was like that weird kid that watches documentaries um, and like true crime and all sorts of things like that. So I knew I was interested in working in that field. But obviously, it's a little bit of a transition. Um, I had already made a living on the internet um, for 10 years before launching my podcast. So I think it's important to note that I did have, um, you know, I, I think it was only like 3,000 followers on Instagram at the time. I was certainly not by any means, not like a huge um, influencer in terms of, in terms of income. Um, but I did end up like working for companies like Buzzfeed and um, some other bigger platforms that gave me a little bit of a start for sure but it definitely was a transition like hey guys remember how i used to only talk to you about surface level things on every level well now i'm going to talk to you about the deepest darkest things that have ever happened to people like please stay tuned so yeah i lost a lot of followers that week but it's worked out okay so i think like it's important to say because If you're sitting in this session, you might be thinking, like, it would be really great to not have that boss anymore and pivot. And so I get that motivation. And also, like I said, I have social anxiety. And it's so cool. I work from a closet now where no one looks at me. (laughs) And it's dark. And I close my eyes. And I'm so calm. And I'm able to actually... Um, engage with people in a way that works really well for me and I feel really really fulfilled every day in that connection even though it doesn't happen directly face to face Um, and I think that podcasting uses the same uh, like brain muscles that we use a lot of times when we listen to like audiobooks or reading and you get to use your imagination um, a lot more and that's what I love about the space and that's what really attracted me to it. Um, but mm-hmm. are we talking about um, launching yet?
1: Um, yeah, you could, whenever you, this is obviously- Sorry, did I just go off on a random a topic? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. Or does somebody else want to talk about now? How, uh, how, how you launched okay, the show. Okay, so, oh yeah, yeah.
2: So when I transitioned- um, uh, I did have, you know, like some influencer friends that I definitely hit up. People that I had uh, made connections with uh, through my other careers, and was like, "Hey, I'm working on this thing, and I've never ever felt so compelled." to create something. Like I just knew the universe was telling me in every way, like everything that has ever happened to you has led to this point. And I know that's really cliche sounding, but I've never experienced that before in my life the same way I did with this project. So I entered it Mm -hmm. very seriously. And that's the thing I always tell people is like, take yourself seriously, take the work seriously. And And people that knew me in my real life were like, didn't even know that I had a brother who was murdered in 2012 by by uh, Los Angeles County sheriffs. They did not know that I grew up in an abusive household where with a sociopath and a narcissist. They did not know that I was a sexual assault survivor because I had created an entire life made of surface level things to avoid talking about that. And I realized the reason for that was that there wasn't space for people like me in true crime um, it was very, you know, oftentimes it's very sensationalized. And I, th- I am talking about this because I think um, when you break into the space, it's really important to think about communities that don't exist yet in the space. And I wanted a community for survivors of true crime um, that was no longer, the narrative was no longer being controlled by people in the media um, who are profiting off of your trauma. Um, that I wanted to create space where survivors actually have a, Um, platform to share their story in the way they want to share it Um, and in a way that is ethical um, and honors people's lives without um, sensationalizing it, laughing about it, um, profiting off of it, and then giving back nothing to that community. Um, So yeah, Yeah. keeping it light. And that's, I'm done talking now. So you guys talk the rest. (laughs)
1: Good job coming today. <laughs> that was great. Um, to sort of go off of your point, uh, what do you all think is the white space in the industry for any creators looking, you know, you talked... Okay, I already about, answered that. So you turn. already... No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm throwing you a bone. You, we're, Yeah, we can move on from you. So what do the rest of you think about the uh, any white space or areas of opportunity for creators looking to break out?
3: I mean, just riffing off what Tiffany was sharing, I, I think when we talk about making life suck less at Lemonada, we're... We're talking about what are you freaking out about when you put your head on the pillow at night? What is the first thought on your mind when you wake up in the morning? It's definitely not what did this president eat for breakfast. Like nobody gives a flying you know what. Um, that's not what you're thinking about. You're thinking like, am I okay? Is my body okay? Are my kids okay? Are my parents okay? You know, there's all this stuff like circling around your head. Sometimes it's big, like epidemics and pandemics, and sometimes it's small, like. Um, you know, I don't really like my job, and I don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a white space in, in us, in what we need. And um, I think you filled that need in a very special way. I think you filled that need in a very special way. I think that's what we're doing at Lemonada. It's not always dark and heavy. We have a really popular show called Good Sex. Really popular show, because guess who got a good sex education in this country ever? No one. <laughs> Never. It's, it's someone got a good sex education right here.
2: That's amazing. That was
3: purely that's parental. Amazing. She had she a good like, bomb. It was me. Yeah. It was me. Um, you should come on the show. The booking people are right behind you. Yeah, yeah, great. We'll connect. We'll connect. Uh, but, but that's where people's heads are at. They're, they're, they're lightly unhappy to wildly unhappy. And we're like, let's be a little happier together. Let's find a little joy. So I think there's a huge white space in us and not screaming at each other and trying to have slightly better less sucky lives.
1: That's great, so all about authenticity. What do, you, what do you guys think?
3: What do you see our like
2: Marissa, what do you think from an agent's perspective? Yeah. You have to
3: have something that goes to is market. It, is, is it scripted thing? fiction? <laughs> is there a white space for scripted fiction?
5: Um, uh. No comment on that. Um, uh. As soon as you guys start buying scripted fiction, then there'll be a white space in the marketplace for that. Um, cough, cough, Jen. Uh, But again, I think it's one of those things where part of what our job is, is to find the white space for our clients. And part of it is going through with them, figuring out their ideas. Are there ways to tweak it? You know, are there ways to ensure that what they're going out with into the marketplace, A, is authentic to them, but B, fits sort of a need that's coming back to us from what the buyers and the advertisers are looking for right now? And I think, like, that can really vary. I think it varies upon time and place and what's going on in the marketplace. Like, right now, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, thoughts around the recession and the economy and, you know, is there more to be done around financial literacy, how to ensure that, like, everyone is being educated on that in a really smart way. I think TikTok has been incredibly interesting in terms of the trends that are coming off of it, of what shows are really popping. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think it's been really interesting to sort of see uh, what the different, um, you know, whether it's Gen Z or millennials um, are sort of looking for in terms of the content that they want to consume. And I think as everyone sort of gets older and grows and expands, there's always more opportunity to sort of speak to those audiences as well.
1: Great. Um, so I think it would be interesting from an agent perspective uh, <laughs> to also uh, talk about something else pivoting a little bit. but. Podcasting is very different than it was a decade ago, and you find that more and more podcasts that really break out are finding their voice and building out a brand that extends beyond the podcast itself, whether it's touring, books, uh, live streaming, Patreon, building out these fan communities. And I would love to hear from an, from all of you guys, but first from the agent perspective, um, how you work with your clients to really build out a brand that can extend beyond the podcast, whether you have any real life examples you can walk us through, um, and what exa- what things creators should be thinking about when they're thinking long term about launching a show.
5: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I can talk to you about, you know, I represent Morbid. Elena and Ash are obviously incredible creators who have built um, a very large number one most subscribed podcast, according to the Apple charts as of this week, um, show um, that they've done a great job of finding a their voice, finding their unique perspective on it, speaking about something they're incredibly passionate about, and building a business off of that. One of the things that is really beneficial is when you have clients who want to build beyond just what the actual podcast is and build that community. And they invested a lot of time and effort into building their fan community. They do listener stories is one of the episodes that they release every week where they really pour through all of the um, stories that are submitted by their fans and interact with them. They've invested a lot in their social medias and building that up in a fan community they have done retreats with their fans, Um, they have done They do touring now um, as well on top of that so that they can go out into, you know, across America and meet their actual fan base and interact with them. Because I think one of the benefits of a podcast is your fans actually genuinely think that they know you Mm -hmm. and are friends with you, um, which sometimes can feel a little bit weird. But also at the end of the day, I think it's really exciting for them when they get to go out and see that and see these people who listen to their show for many hours every week um, and then get to see them in real life and talk to them. And I think then, you know, it's part of about what they want to do. Like, Elena was really excited to write a book. Um, and so she wrote a fiction novel um, that's being published this fall, September 23rd. And um, in pre-sales, just to give you sort of the power of a podcast audience, you know, it's shot at the top of the Amazon charts. It's probably one of the largest pre sale of a fiction novel for a debut author in the history since Harry Potter. Um, and so it just gives you kind of the... Um, the ability to sort of see just how much an audio audience can drive into these other areas as well in terms of building a multifaceted business. Part of it is you have to want to build that multifaceted business and invest in it, but another part of it is just kind of showing the the power of audio and building that community. You can really sort of drive your fans into the areas that you would like them to go, And but part of it is you have to invest back in them and make them really feel like they're a part of that community, ensure you're giving back to them in ways that make them feel included and inclusive and ensure that you're doing things across the board that allow them to feel like they're a part of that and meet each
1: other as well. That's sure. and, right. And for the rest of you, how do you feel about that from a creator and producerial perspective? Are you thinking about ways to engage your fans deeper, build out that community, um, provide additional content to them? Do you want to focus on the podcast? What are, what are your thoughts and how do you go about engaging with your fans?
2: I said I wasn't going to talk again, but I can't to this so I will um I actually wrote two books just to fund my podcast. I put myself into debt for like multiple years making this podcast because I'm so passionate about it. Um don't recommend that route. Uh and then COVID happened as soon as I like started to make money and was like ha. ha, ha. Oh. So um I had the opportunity um to work on to work with a publisher. I pr- pr- you know, wrote two books with them. Mm-hmm. Um I would never sign those contracts now. (laughs) I was literally desperate. And I was like, if I do this and I can get that amount of money, then I can do the podcast for like three or four more months before I can't pay my bills anymore. So, okay, let's do that. Um, and I was a writer before, so it was a natural fit for me. And um, luckily I enjoyed the process and I'm really proud of the work. But that's really what was motivating me, honestly, if I'm, if we're, we're being honest here, is yeah. I just wanted to be able to afford to do the podcast full time. So that was my goal. So I'll, I still had uh, worked, fif- you know, 40, 50 hours a week in fashion for a year and a half while I worked mm. on the podcast full time as well. Also don't recommend. Um, but, But yeah, you kind of do what you got to do. Sometimes until you get to do what you want to do, mm-hmm. but I think there is a lot of opportunity to branch out in the space and and certainly leverage your audience into immersive experiences, virtual shows, books, audiobooks, social media, <clears throat> like you said like immersive you know tour, all that kind of stuff. Jordan, do you do that kind of stuff? So I can't really do that because people want to like murder me now. oh so. Yeah, <laughs>
4: Don't do that. It's kind
2: of scary, but like do you do that? Do you go and like hug and kiss babies and uh, eat people? yeah,
4: and I got COVID doing oh, that, Oh no, so okay. That was fun. That <laughs> yeah. I had avoided it for years, and then I had a live show and I immediately got COVID. But other than that, it was a lot of fun. And it was actually really cool meeting my fans, as as infectious as they happen to be. It, it was really interesting <laughs> to it was really interesting to see everybody from, I was all like, oh, I'm not going to sell any tickets. And then my network's like, obviously you're going to sell tickets. And then they sold out in two days. And I was like, oh, hashtag self-confidence. And so I, I loved doing the live show. I didn't think I was really going to enjoy it as much as I did. And it turned out to be like one of my favorite experiences doing the show because I'm doing what I usually do in my pajamas which is an interview, uh, and then, but I was clothed this time and dressed a little more professionally. Something else I did with my audience, though, now that I think about it, and I didn't even put this in the same bucket, was uh, for my 40th birthday a couple of years ago, I took 72 show fans to a maximum security prison, as one does. And we had a birthday party in there, but also we mentored a bunch of these inmates, like mock job interviews and guys who had graduated from a program where they were getting released and they needed, like, life skills because they'd been in prison for Mm -hmm. a a decade. Mm -hmm. And so we went through their resumes and did mock job interviews, and all these show fans came with me and did it, and they paid to go, and all the money went to that prison education program. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool and fun and didn't make me, I had a thing where I was like, I don't just wanna like take money from the show fans and like yeah. buy a car with it, it seemed weird. And I so I did this charity thing which had not really occurred to me before. And that was like a guilt-free but really fun and unique mm-hmm. experience. And, and that ended up building a lot of community. Like those people still all talk and are in a wow. Facebook group and everything. Wow. So it was kind of a unique way to engage the,
1: the fans. Um, and, and Jess, and yeah, you talked about I, niche storytelling.
3: Well, I mean, the niche storytelling, I think, is is our origin story, right? Like, nothing's niche about the human experience. Yeah. We're all going through the exact same thing at the exact same time, by and large. But the, the mm-hmm. word you said was community. I think you said it, too. Um, and I think we, when Steph and I started this company, we met for the first time in February 2019 and threw some money in a bank account in March 2019. Like, that's how this just gelled for us. Um, and the the set, we, we did that – has anyone done the Simon Sinek What is the Why? Yeah. Okay, so we did that exercise together. She still pulls this Post-it board out once in a while, at like new staff onboarding. And in the center, the why was to help people get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. The how was podcasts, and then there was an outer ring around um, other forms of media. And we talked about content and community from day zero before we had an episode um, because we were like – that was our theory of change. Our theory of, of this business was um, – uh, people need this and they need each other and they need to hear their stories mirrored back in a way that feels like funny and hopeful and not miserable but entertaining and well done um, and now we have our first Lemonada host with a tattoo and it's only been three years, vSphere um, you know I think I think that is what people, and I'm behind the scenes like I, I told my story on Stephanie's show last day but I, I'm not talent um, so we've got a multitude of mm-hmm. communities and I think that when we're thinking about the that, that outer ring, it's not just lemonade. It's the talent that we're bringing in. Cheryl's here from KSL. We're making a, they made a podcast, and we're working with them on distributing it um, called The Letter. Um, it's going to be a beautiful true crime upside down, um, where we're not talking about dismembered people. We're talking about um, survival and forgiveness and all kinds of beautiful themes around mm-hmm. that. So the, whether it's engaging with one another and, fi- and being like, oh my god, I heard your story. It was my story, which is how V came to us. Um, or it's um, creating platforms for people to to share their stories with each other. We're like, we're thinking about all of it. And if you're thinking about being on a network, really think about that community too. Like who's going to be around you making your show? Who's going to be around you socializing your show? Who's going to be monetizing your show? All of it. like mm-hmm. Because that that is the entire ecosystem of what you're trying to put out there into the world and what you care about. And um, you want to do it with people who get it. Mm-hmm. Um Great. Uh, so, so this question is for all of you. The ind- you talked about the
1: dinosaur ages of podcasting, <laughs> when there were like 20 podcasts you could listen to. Um, this The industry has changed a lot, and it's becoming harder and harder to break through. And it's probably a little bit easier if you um, are at, have the privilege of being at a network where you have budget and resources. And I would love to hear about things that podcasters who are independent can do on their own to really, and and you've talked all about it a little bit in terms of engaging your audience and kind of grassroots style, style, but I'd love to hear about marketing tactics that people can be thinking about um, from the creator perspective, but also agent and network um, perspective as well. Any tips?
4: Sure. So I always recommend that Shows do promos for each other. Doesn't cost you anything. You probably have unsold inventory. Uh, you can easily check out an episode of your friend's show and then do a read about it. And it's it's a rising tide lifts all boats mm-hmm. type thing. I know people are worried about losing their listeners. I, I understand that impulse, but if you are losing a fan to another show, that's same thing is happening with their show to your show, and you're just it's people finding a better fit. But really, they're just listening to both of your shows. So. The competitive instinct, if, if it is sort of stopping you from doing that, I would say not to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And you can do that for literally years. And you can, of course, there's room to go and be a guest on somebody else's show if that makes sense. But even if your format doesn't make sense for that, like you don't interview people, promos, promos, and more promos. And the better your reads for each other, the better you're all going to do. I did that for like 11 years. And it, it worked. I mean, it, it worked. It mm-hmm. built my first uh, probably 100,000 people came from just doing that over and over and over and over again. I had to limit the number that I did because it was effective and I was like ruining my own <laughs> show by <laughs> constantly doing it and driving my wife crazy because I did it all day every day. But that works and people should lean into that. It's, I, it, I know people are a little hesitant to say, like, mm-hmm. can you do a promo for me? But if you trade it, it just it, Once you see the results, I think you're going to go crazy for it. And now there's attribution tools like Chartable where you can see the conversions. So learning how to use something like that will, will make you excited for this.
3: I think it's also about consistency. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to drive your partner crazy because you have to do all of the things all of the time to break mm-hmm. through. And there's a promo Slack exchange. So, like, if you, if you need help finding it. Um, but on Slack, there's a channel for podcasters, indies, big networks, Get in there and be like, hey, I have a show. It has 50 Mm -hmm. listeners, 5 million listeners. Does anyone want to swap with me? And you will get a bunch of responses. Um,
2: Yeah, so I was really scrappy, obviously, for a long time um, with my $0 budget um, and bad credit. Um, (laughs) So I just hustled, like hit up everybody I know with any kind of platform, asked them to support the work. you know, used social media, said yes to every single interview the first few seasons, like you said, because that not only mm-hmm. helps just, you know, grow your audience, it also engages with the algorithm on Apple Podcasts, and it likes it likes those things. Um, and for me, I'm like a really fact, data-driven person, so I spent, like... A good month, I would say, just reading thousands and thousands of people's other podcast reviews for other shows that were in the genre I wanted my show to live in. So when I'm working and consulting with people who are like, I have this idea and I want to, I want to make a show out of this idea. The number one thing I say is like, first, like, where do you want it to live? I think of like your your show is your house. So what street do you want it to live at, uh, to, it to live on? What is everybody else on that street already giving out? What is your unique, like, property value? What are you bringing to the table that is different than someone else? And that's not a funny pun. It's not a tagline. Um, Copying somebody else's, like, exact, like, make the most you version of, like, podcast, because that is the most important thing, because I'm not for everyone, but the people that um, do, like, find value in the work that I create, really find value in it. And I would rather have 1,000 engaged listeners who actually care about my, like they know when I give a, a sponsor shout out or something that I mean it legitimately and have a real authentic connection with those people than, you know, 10,000 people who really don't care about you. And if you look at the data, those 1,000 dedicated listeners are actually gonna be more valuable to your brand because they're going to give 1,000 uh, recommendations to their friends and family. Yeah. And when people come to you and they're like, dude, you have to listen to this thing. Like, you're, you know, your bestie comes to you. That is the most valuable marketing, that, and you can't buy that. So also just having a good idea. It's a really, like people think it's, you know, it's so oversaturated. There's still so many stories that need to be told. There is still so much out there that needs to be in this space. And the space is still very relatively small if you look at uh, podcasting compared to other digital media, media creation spaces. So um, yeah, I think like really being niche at this point
1: is, is really great. I'm one of your 1,000 fans, so Thank you. I just wanted to let you know.
5: <laughs> and then I would say two, two other things that I think are incredibly beneficial outside of I can't talk enough about like guest swaps, promo swaps go a really long way. Um, in terms of discoverability, TikTok has been massive um for people discovering new podcasts on the platform things go viral so quickly there and then on top of that i think people underestimate youtube youtube this week launched youtube.com podcasts it's one of the biggest podcast platforms for what people are watching and listening on and so i think like really utilizing even if it is just the upload of the audio with a static image i think like being able to utilize the YouTube platform is going to become increasingly more important. Um, and I think right now a lot of podcasters don't necessarily always think about that, the YouTube aspect of it as well and how important it can be for the business.
1: I think before you had, you had talked about getting your app fe- or you're getting your podcast featured on the app, can you talk a little bit about that quickly before we get uh, kicked off stage soon? Um, Yes, I
5: will talk about that. So there are the editorial teams at Spotify and Apple. You guys should befriend them, email them, but also be really strategic about what you're thinking about. Like if you are a true crime podcast, don't necessarily submit your episodes to be featured around Mother's Day or Father's Day. Um, Maybe think about that for Halloween, you know, sort of be judicious. And when you're thinking about what time of the year is right for submitting your show write a really personal letter. Like I say this too, the same thing for like guest swaps or promo swaps if you're reaching out to people, like personalize it. Don't just send, like, one generic email that clearly has gone to 20 people. Like, say something personal. Take a time to listen to the other show. Find something you liked about it, something about their socials. Like, really try and relate to the person and make yourself sound relatable and that you know what they're doing. Because I can tell you, like, we get a lot of our clients' emails, um, and you can tell which ones really took the time to actually put in the effort and which ones were just sort of a copy and paste. Think about it as a cover letter for a job no one wants to send the same one to every job they're applying to.
4: Yeah, my favorite is, hi, Jason. I'm a huge fan of, of the Jordan Harbinger show or the wrong show name pasted in there and it's like immediate delete. Yeah, that's funny, you do get that a lot. It really doesn't take much to personalize it and it goes a long way. And don't say you're a huge fan of someone if you've never listened to it because when I say what's your favorite episode and you say the last one, I know what you're doing.
5: At least pick one from three and a half or four months ago, For come real. on.
4: For real.
1: Um, great. All right. I'd love to open it up to some audience questions. I think we've got time for a few questions uh, if anyone uh, has anything they want to ask.
4: My name is Evan Herman, and I'm the host of the Whole Person podcast. I'm in the midst of redefining what the voice of the podcast is. And so, what advice would you give when you're looking to niche down to rediscover a voice in an audience? What, what's your
2: podcast about? Oh, he took the mic. Just tell me. Oh. Like give me like the 30-second Faith, elevator.
4: family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. That's too broad. Okay. Do you have do a community
2: itch. online like on Reddit not, or Facebook or something like that? I have not like built one. I've I would tried. start with that. I would do that. I would build your social you got to find your people where they're at. So they might not be on podcasts yet. And that's the other thing, like what you said, like about the oversaturation thing is like um, the next, like there are podcasts that convert people to podcasts. And as, as podcasters, we benefit when, when new shows convert new listeners. Only half of the United States listens to podcasts. Um, or is that correct? I don't know. Keep me honest. Something like that. Um, and um, so, yeah, I would look for them in the streets, basically, like wherever they are if they're not there, um, or go on other shows within your, um, that would be my advice, yeah. Hi, I'm Alison
5: Marino, my question's for you, Marissa. Can you talk a little bit more about what kind of podcast content really works on TikTok and how podcasters are using that to be successful? Yeah, I mean it's definitely varied. We've seen a bunch of shows go viral. Comedians obviously do really well on TikTok just because already they have they're good at making short form content. Um, but we've had plenty of podcasts that have gone viral on the show because they're making you know quick clips using the audio content, finding those really funny bits that are relatable or self deprecating or fit within the trend of your show, um, and you can sort of watch like pretty quickly when you go on TikTok when the algorithm is incredible for your for you page of what you're getting served on. And you can sort of see like what the current trends are of the moment. Apparently everyone's obsessed with corn. I haven't quite figured it out yet. I'm not that sure. Little boy, that is. You
2: didn't see the corn yeah. video. I've heard he's the love. most precious angel. Audio. Haven't seen the. And he loves one. corn and he's the best. You'll all send it to you. Okay. Bye. Perfect.
5: Uh, But you can sort of get a sense from that, like certain things will just have a moment and go viral, and it's sort of about trying to tap into those trends um, and figure out a way to sort of utilize that algorithm to deliver the content to the audience you're trying to hit.
2: Oh, also I used a hashtag, um, and that was really valuable, So, and that's a free.com, so your podcast. What did you like this episode, post on social, use the hashtag, it automatically gets people to post about your show, you click on it, people can talk, it's a thing
1: it's free, do that too. Five minutes. Any other questions?
0: Go in ones, ah, there we go. Hi, I'm Bruce Smith. I have the uh, Essential Discourse podcast. Um, you kind of answered the question that I was gonna ask, but I, I would like for you to just... Uh, Let's talk it about it more. The, yeah, uh, What's you your podcast said, about, I, sorry. Well, the Essential Discourse podcast is basically uh, black culture, uh, the black experience. I'm on hiatus right now because I got very frustrated uh, because my network of people, uh, maybe you guys experienced this. Oh yeah, I'm gonna check it out. And two weeks later, have you checked it out? I ain't had time, which is a lie because time and money are the resources that we waste the most of. Uh, So I'm trying to find the actual podcast listeners. You said build a community. Some of the stuff that you guys mentioned, I've tried hashtags, uh, social media, and it's like it's only getting to the same people who I know aren't going to listen. So how do I how do I defeat that?
2: I mean, you can go a paid advertising route. I I have way less exp- I don't know if you want to speak to that.
4: I, yeah, I mean, I do a ton of paid advertising, but I wouldn't necessarily start there. You know, the thing is well, it's really easy to waste money, and I don't want to encourage that in this economy. It's irresponsible. But I think, you know, you're. you're it sounds like you're asking your friends and people you know in real life, and if they're not going to support you with that, okay, fine. You, can't, you can, whatever, lead a horse to water, something, something. But everybody who listens to other podcasts already knows how to listen to a podcast. They have the app on their phone. The reason they say they don't have time is they're like, how do I get these again? What do I need to do? Is it in Spotify? What do I search for? Like, they're just not going to do it. So if you make an effort to collaborate with other people that are in your niche or adjacent to your niche, you're going to find new listeners that way, and it's going to be encouraging. I hate to hear that you're not doing this thing you love because your silly friends won't freaking download it. I mean, that makes makes me sad for you, you know, and it's something that you should – I would start it up again. And you know what? It doesn't matter if anybody listens to your show. I didn't, we didn't even have podcast metrics when I started. I just assumed people were listening because somebody would email me like every two weeks and be like, hey, I like that thing that you did. I'm from Toronto. And that was enough. You know? like That was good enough. I didn't have... There was no thing I could look at that showed how many people. And then when there was, I was like, that's it? Oh, well, whatever. You know? Like, you know, it's, it's never going to be enough. I We have... I don't know how you feel, but, I'm, but my audience is both amazing and uh, huge and also never quite enough people to sat, scr- scratch that itch for validation. So don't worry about that. You know, Just make this thing for you and like keep at it. It's a hobby after
3: all. But audio converts to audio is what yeah. you're hearing from people. Mm-hmm. People who listen to podcasts will listen to other podcasts. Start there. There's a ton that's free. The best things are free. Platform exposure is by and large free. Word of mouth is free. The internet can mostly be free. So find those people and set reasonable goals, like 50. OK, in three months, I want it to be 100. In three months, I want it to be 300. Three months later, I want it to be 1,000. Those are like bite-sized reasons. And a 1,000 people listening to you and what you care about in your community, what you're passionate about, that feels really great. 1,000 people is a lot of people. So keep going from there. And, and think about monetizing it early so that you can start putting money back into it and when the time comes. So if you can get a small sponsor who you think is great for your show, even if it's like 50 bucks an episode, start putting that in a little side bank account in in the drawer, whatever you gotta do, and then you can start putting that money back in when you get to that thousand number. I've also found podcasters are really nice people. Um, And so I think if you
5: really take the time and effort to DM maybe the hosts of your favorite shows or the shows that you want to sort of aspire to be similar to, um, DM them, find their email address, reach out to them. Like I found it's been a really positive, nice community. And I think podcasters are really willing to help other podcasters, whether it's giving advice, having you on their shows. And so I think it's really also just t- tapping into this broader community that's been built by all of the creators who have launched shows, um, who all tend to be really kind-hearted people and at the end of the day just want to see other podcasters succeed.
2: Mm-hmm. What city are you in? So maybe, so maybe you can also um, like niche I just realized the other day that it's niche, been saying niche my whole life. So that's humbling. It's Both humbling, are okay. Okay. Both are okay. Um, but maybe maybe like you could speak specifically to, you know, black culture within your direct community um, or, you know, make it more niche in some other way and sometimes like Giving people more of an idea of what they're gonna get can be valuable in like hooking them in, if that makes sense. So like, they're in Sacramento where I live. We definitely have podcasters, and that's all they talk about is like Sacramento culture, things specific. They work with like local restaurants and things like that. And that we saw that in the blogging and influencer space too. And people kind of thought of it last. And I think with, p- but that is really valuable. You can you can get huge sponsorships through local restaurants businesses in your community and you can walk in there and be like face-to-face, like, I know how much you care about supporting the black community, so I'd love to have you support my podcast, you know? I approached it, like, I would literally go on LinkedIn, and sorry if any of these people are in this room, and I'd be like, Spotify, who works at Spotify? Oh, the Google, find their email. Thank you so much. I know how much you care about women's rights, so I'm sure you want to promote my podcast for free. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I will do anything and go anywhere and ask anybody, so, yeah. Yeah. Great.
1: I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think we're about to get carried off the stage at this oh, point sorry. from the amount of times so I've gotten the wrap. I this just up. stopped sweating. I'm right um, now. <laughs> hopefully, thank you all for coming. Hopefully, you got some good insight and tips um, from the incredible panelists. Thank you, Jen, for putting this together.